0: What is good everyone? Welcome back to the Outside the Box podcast. My name is Nick Engvall and on this show I try to break down the sneaker business and the creative ways that people can get involved in it. Maybe find a way to create a a new path for your career or potentially even just you know introduce you to ideas that you didn't think about outside the box if you will. I have an awesome episode for you today. I have been fascinated by the idea of affiliate marketing since probably before I got into actually blogging on the internet. It's a really interesting facet of the sneaker world right now and it has been for the last few years, but I, I actually wanted to dig into how it works and kind of how see how it compared to more traditional blogging, I guess. And so I connected with my friend Cody who runs some of the biggest affiliate accounts on Twitter, but also has a really interesting perspective on it because he's kind of got into the sneaker world as a content creator on the other side of things, with YouTube, uh, photography, and, you know, his YouTube channel, he had a huge smash video seven, eight years ago, racked up 5 million plus views. Uh, it's, it's just a really fascinating conversation, and I think you'll enjoy it. So I'm not going to hold it up anymore. Let's get into it. What's good, everyone? Welcome back to the Outside the Box podcast. My name is Nick Engvall. Today, I got a special guest with me, Cody Temple and I've known to Cody for, I don't even know how long it's, it's been a while. Actually, I yeah. remember talking to, to Cody about, you know, as I usually do with most people, I connect with them as, with sneakers and then end up talking cars with Cody. So Cody, welcome to the show. How's it, how's it going, man?
1: It's going well. Thank you for having me on. I think this is my first actual on camera or audio interview of any sort. I've done like one written interview. And that was like five years ago. So it, it's been a while. This is, I had to get all the camera stuff set up. I don't know if it looks good on your end, but
0: yeah, yeah thank you great, for having
1: man. me. This is, this is really fun.
0: Cool, man. Uh, I'm, I'm glad you had time to, to, to join me. And obviously, you know, I think, uh, this is going to be a cool conversation just because you're one of those people that I, I think has done really well in the sneaker space. And it's, it's not often that you've you know, kind of talked about that kind of stuff, which is why I reached out to you. So I thought, hey, this this guy's been doing interesting things for longer than most, but it's it's not always the same, right? I like that you've had to diversify and shift and figure out new, you know, aspects of what you're doing in the sneaker world. And I think it's just been fascinating to kind of watch your journey because, you know, you had probably I'm I'm gonna you know just jump right into your story before I let you tell it, but you probably had one of the most successful early sneaker YouTube videos with your pin roll video, right? Like this is probably like seven, eight years ago, but it was like, Holy Jesus. Like how did this video get so many views? Right? So how, how did that all start? What got you into sneakers and, and creating
1: content and all of that stuff? Okay. Um, I guess it all started sneaker stuff for me started when I was in middle school, uh, when I was playing like rec league basketball, uh, I was a big Iverson fan back in the day. I know you were a big Iverson yep. fan as well. I was on the kids side, the grade school side back in the day. But uh, when I played rec league basketball, my like one pair of shoes every year was Iverson's answer series. And so I think like starting with the answer threes all the way to I, maybe the sevens. I can't even keep up with them these days, but it was every year I would go to like the Dick's Sporting Goods at the Mall of Georgia where they had the rock climbing wall and I would get the new pair of like Iverson answers for that year. And then it was like that I had the new pair that I wore to play basketball in. And then last year's pair became my like everyday school shoe. So that was always like I wasn't necessarily a sneakerhead back then, uh, but that was like my that was my introduction into what it, what I then later discovered to be an entire culture in an entire community. I uh, That kind of fell off once I got into high school. I didn't really care about sneakers in high school. This is like 2006. Um, But then while I was in, I was big into cars in high school, I guess. That is like where my interest shifted was towards like gaming and cars in high school. Um, I was working a job in high school at a car wash and I was saving up a bunch of money to do some modifications to my E36. I was planning a whole suspension overhaul. And so I had a bunch of money saved up for this. And then I went to college and didn't bring the E36 with me, so I had a bunch of like spare money just kind of like sitting there. And I went to I guess this was I wasn't really into sneakers at all at the time. I was wearing like Sperrys, Uh, so it was a a big overhaul of Mm -hmm. my own personal style in college. Um, But my like girlfriend at the time took me to the Foot Action at the mall, and we were just like, this this is in Auburn, Alabama. We went to the Opalica Mall there. And there was a pair of Jordan one fats that I've talked about in like some videos on my channel, but there was this pair of Jordan one fats that were just, they kind of called out to me. They were a hundred bucks and I grabbed them off the shelf and just wore them. And then like two weeks later, went back to the mall and I had some disposable income and bought a pair of Air Jordan one fat Lowe's that were like gray with elephant print on the swoosh. And then it was just like, okay, now I'm kind of getting, now we got the the itch here. And then shortly after that, it was like, I was following what was going on kind of on like blogs. This is when you still needed to apply to get on Nike talk. There was a whole (laughs) application process, which I thought was insane. Um, But the first thing that made me really want to jump into the forums was the Nike Roshi run, which I like, if you go back, if you scroll back far enough on my channel, you'll see that the channel started with the Roshi run. Okay. There's even a video on my channel. That's like my Roshi run collection. From 2012. Um, but despite what the shoe turned into, there was a massive community of people behind the Roshi run. There was like Team Roshi, which I think yep. Sean Goh, who's on YouTube, still kind of upholds that account with some of the older guys that are on that were on Team Roshi. But it was like this group of people that genuinely helped each other find these original colorways. There were seven original colorways. And you could get them at like Nordstrom Rack for like $27. You get them really cheap. And so everybody was like, okay, well, my Nordstrom Rack has these, but Nordstrom Rack won't ship. So it's like, I'll go to my Nordstrom Rack and I'll get you this pair and I'll ship it to you. And that like community aspect of that was just so cool. And I just dove right into it. So between like Nike Talk back in the day and then Team Roshi, which then became like a Facebook group, which then turned into like an invite out to, you know, like Nike World Headquarters. It was just like that whole tumbling effect just brought me right into the culture. And I've never left. And then at the at the same time with the YouTube stuff, uh, the YouTube stuff started because I was in school in Auburn, Alabama, and there's not a big sneakerhead population at Auburn. Uh, It would be very rare that you'd be like walking around campus of this 25,000 student school and you would see somebody with something else on. It was very much the like Spider-Man meme effect. (laughs) When you saw somebody on campus, you were like, oh, my gosh, you you like this stuff, too. And so it was really interesting to like. But there just wasn't a community there. Um, And so for me, with these Roshis that I had like amassed this collection of because it was really cheap back then, you know, if you could find them, it was like a couple hundred bucks and you had all six and then you had to track down the Asia exclusive mango joint but it was still like it was a it was affordable and I wanted to be able to like share that with somebody and so I saw back in the day you know all of the OG sneaker YouTubers were just kind of like sharing what they had It, it was never necessarily a flex back then like it is kind of today Uh, It was more just like, here's this shoe, here's this, here's how I got it, because there was always a story to come with that back then. And for me, that was like my way to share this passion that I had when nobody locally and none of my friends at the time really cared about it. Uh, And so I just started making videos and then slowly more and more people started watching them. Uh, The content back then was rough. I think anybody that makes any sort of YouTube content, if they go back and look at their early stuff, it is very cringy. Um, but yeah, I used to just make videos in my, in my parents' backyard and that was where it all started. And then eventually, yeah, I made a pin roll video, which now has five, over 5 million views because people really needed to know how to pin roll in 2013. Um, and then since then the channel, it, it like shot up in 2012, 13 and 14, and then eventually uh, it just kind of like tapered off i i also tapered off with it i i stopped making content there for a while uh and then I've come back every once in a while right now i'm in a right now i'm in a back phase we'll see yeah. how long it lasts but so far I'm enjoying the new content that i've made and yeah that brings us i guess up today with with the youtube stuff
0: that's great man it's it's so funny how you know i uh i i think about like moments in the sneaker thing you know like i'm I'm old and I've been obsessed with this only slightly longer than I've been obsessed with cars, right? And you can you mm-hmm. can relate to this because I I bought my first car at 12 years old. I was it was a $75, it's actually a $150 Honda Prelude, 1981. And of course I had been mowing lawns, saving money. Cause I, I knew at some point I wanted to to buy a car. Um prior to that, my brother and I were drawing sneakers and cars. You know, it's really like the the Air Jordan 3, the Air Max 1, the Air Max 90, that like early era of air, you know, became like what we would draw. And we didn't have the money to 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 get shoes. We only had a $30 budget. So we like that was our way mm-hmm. of like kind of feeling like we got to. And then, you know, that we would expand on it, make our own versions, make our own colors and all that stuff. But I kind of shifted into cars really early because I had like some older cousins that had, you know, Honda Civics back in that day. And um so I bought this car. It didn't run my, my, you know, stepdad basically loaned me the other 75 bucks to get it helped me get, you know, the guy delivered it for free. I mean, it was, it was a terrible investment, but I learned a lot just like tinkering with it, trying to figure out, you know, what vacuum lines were and like, what the hell they did and all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it really was interesting because like, I always think about that in, you know, I'm glad that you brought up the Roshi thing because I think about that process for me there's so many people that don't have that, that can't play the game like you mentioned before we started recording of the you know the the air on your Virgil Abloes, right like you can't that can't be a very broad entry point to something right and mm-hmm. as much as like I was not a fan I'm I'm typically not a fan of of the Roshi or like the Yeezy 350s any of the shoes that are more of a full sock like upper I like a mm-hmm. little bit more to it Um, or I just like, you know, something like an ultra boost that's like really snug and and more performance oriented, right? Like that, like casual, like sock, like shoe is not my thing, but even when the Roshi came out, I was, I was working at finish line at the time and, or, you know, maybe, maybe a complex, I can't remember exactly when that first came out, but like it, it was the entry point, right? Like the, the thing that I loved about it was exactly what you said. I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's something that we're, we're, we've gone far away from in the past couple of years where I, I related to me getting into cars and buying that first Honda Prelude that, you know, it was, it was literally nothing, right? Like it was, it never ran. I never got it working, but it was just a way for me to feel what that whole world was about and understand like, Hey, this is a, this is a thing, right? And the Roshi, I felt like that felt like that was a shoe that basically brought so many people into sneakers, the same, the same way that you're talking about, right? Because you could spend 200 bucks and literally have the whole set, right? Like, you know, Mm -hmm. if you were, if you were smart about it, you could continue on and and have a massive collection of of Roshis for, you know, relatively little money compared to what people spend now on, you know, whatever they miss out on and have to buy on stock or goat or something. Right. So it's really kind of fascinating to think about that. And I think that that's part of why I want to do this podcast, talk to people about how they got into it, because obviously you did the YouTube thing and you're still doing the YouTube thing but it also turned into a lot more opportunities for you right like what what was kind of the first time you know outside of the youtube stuff where you're, where you started thinking about other options other opportunities within the sneaker world i guess yeah uh,
1: i guess this would have been everything started in i guess when i when i pivoted the business i guess for those of you that don't know i have a couple of twitter accounts in which i post affiliate links and if you don't know what an affiliate link is, essentially, if you click on any of the links in my tweets, it tells whatever merchant I send you to that I sent you there originally. Uh, and then at no additional cost to you, uh, I get a slight commission on that sale if you purchase anything after clicking on one of my links. Uh, that's just, This has been a massive industry, kind of not under the table, but behind the scenes. Uh, this is kind of how like online advertising works. But then this, this shifted from... The affiliate industry being more of a blog focused thing it was more like okay here's this article about this amazon product and here's this amazon affiliate link if you want to buy it and then if you do the writer of that blog will get a commission on that and then everybody kind of started to shift that when social media started to become more of a massive platform and the easiest to generate click-throughs would be twitter and so people really started to shift this affiliate platform onto Twitter by providing a service that covers, you know, release c- covers release news or restocks or sales, stuff like that. Uh there were a lot of people that got into this way before me. Like, you know, Eric from Sneaker Steel has been doing this for seemingly forever. Mm-hmm. Uh he he was he's been doing this since longer than I have, you know, been into sneakers myself. So uh, I was certainly late to the game. Um, but I was on YouTube, I think. This was, like, well into YouTube at the time, and it was 2014. Black, was it Black Infrared 3, or Black Infrared uh, 6s were 2014. That was, like, the year of the 6 when they did, like, the White Infrared and Infrared 23 earlier in the year. And then Black Friday was the Black Infrared 6. And somebody else that was on YouTube, I want to say it was probably T. Blake, Uh, But somebody recommended to me like way early on, they were like, hey, you should try out VigLink, which at the time was like a very easy way to get into affiliate marketing. It was essentially that you could generate any link through VigLink. And then like, it seemed like, okay, just plug a link in and it'll spit out an affiliate link and then hope it works. Even to this day, that service is still kind of like, well, who knows if it's going (laughs) to work? But VigLink was kind of like the entry point. And whoever recommended it to me was sending me a referral, which then became kind of like a revenue share, you would get like 1% of their revenue or 2% of their revenue or whatever. So I, whoever was, whoever put me on originally, which I think it was T Blake, if it was somebody else reach out to me, because I have you to thank for kind of my entire career at this point. Um, but I was always like, no, I don't want to monetize my tweets. Like people don't follow me for affiliate links. Right. I was like, no, I don't want to be disingenuous on that. I gave it a shot on the Black Infrared Six release uh, for Black Friday. I put I put out two tweets on just my main account. This is when I was. This is when I went by GTFan712. So it just went on my GTFan712 account. I said releasing in 15 minutes, and then now available. So two tweets. I think this was when Nike was doing 8 a.m. releases. This was after midnight releases, but before we shifted to 10 a.m. So it was like a 7:45 a.m. tweet. It was like releasing in 15 minutes and then the now available tweet. And this was pre-sneakers so this just sent you to the product page and then it was kind of like can you fumble your way through checkout and are they going to let you get the pair which was way more fun than it is today. Frustrating but way more fun. Yeah. Than, um and I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, okay, well we'll see how that do how that does. Uh I checked on it a few days later and I had made like $600. And wow. I was like, wait wait a second. <laughs> and this was just like with my existing following from YouTube at the time which on Twitter couldn't have been more than like a hand, like a couple thousand followers, uh, and so I was like, "Wait a second, there might be something here." And over the next couple of months, I—I I guess that would have been Black Friday. From Black Friday until like middle of January, I—I I was working at a shoe store at the time. It was a—it was like a local it was a local boutique. If you want to call it that it was like in the boutique side of things, but it wasn't like a known boutique here in the Atlanta area. Uh, but I was working there at the time and like during my day job, I was kind of handling pretty much everything, uh, on the, from like working the, the store like front to then in the back, taking product photos and like building an entire Shopify site in this is 2014. So I was like trying to get the store caught up on this. Yep. Um, So, I was really trying to help out the owner with that stuff. But then on the side, I was also starting to experiment more with affiliate links in the very early stages of this stuff. And it started to, it very quickly started to be like a serious side hustle. It was just like, okay, I'm making like enough money to the point where like I could give this a shot if everything fell through. And then I was already not making enough money at this shoe store. And the owner came to me and said, I'm going to have to cut your pay by 30%. And also I'm firing the other guy that works the store. So you're going to have double the responsibilities for 30% less pay. And I was already expecting a raise to come soon. And so I was like, hey, you're going to have to cut it by hundred percent because I'm out at the end of the month. And so that was February 1st, 2015 was my first day that I was like, okay, we're going to do this full time. We're going to see what we can do between the YouTube thing and the link thing. And I was like, all right, I I was living with my parents at the time, which I'm very thankful for that. I think a lot of like, I think there's this kind of negative like stigma around if you graduate from college and then don't immediately go live on your own, you're like a failure. And that is what I, that is what I did. You know, uh, I graduated with a degree in industrial design, which is exactly what, you know, like Seth Fowler does. And so like, I came out of that and there was just, there were no jobs. I think we're the same age too. So I think we might have gone to school at the same time or he's like one or one year ahead or behind me. But there were just the job market was rough. And for me, it was like I had already worked at this at the shoe store I was at. So I went back to work at this shoe store and I was like kind of figuring everything out. It was like it was easier to it's easier to find a job when you have a job. So I had some sort of money coming in while I was looking for a like first design job. And then it just became like, well, I'm kind of enjoying the sneaker thing. So I stuck with that. Anyways, fast forward back to the like link business stuff. And I gave myself in February, February, 1st, 2015. I said, February 1st, 2016, if I, if I made as much money as I did at, as I would have at the shoe store, I'll give it another year. And so that first year, 2015, I just kind of like stuck it out, tried to figure out, followed what worked, ditched what didn't work. And in 2015, in October of 2015, I started what then enabled my entire career when I when I started the Adidas Alerts account, and initially, it was it was this whole idea where it was okay. 2015, Adidas introduced the Ultra Boost at the beginning of the year, the Yeezy Boost in February. Honestly, it was Valentine's Day, February in 2015, was when the 750 first released, yep. and then the 350 was in June of the same year. And then in December, they introduced the NMD. So 2015 was a hell of a year for Adidas. And I was noticing throughout the year that more and more of my content was Adidas focused. But I felt weird, like I'm supposed to be promoting all brands. But if, you know, more than half of my content for the day is talking about an Ultra Boost and then a Yeezy, you know, it's like, well, there's an imbalance here. And I wanted to kind of separate that so it wasn't like overloading people with Adidas content. So originally, I started Adidas Alerts as a backup account, so I could post everything that I wanted to that was Adidas, and then I would just retweet the the best stuff onto the main feed, and that lasted for about two months before Adidas Alerts then shot clear past my main account (laughs) and became what I was then known for, and so totally accidental. Did not intend for it to blow up like it did, but people really responded well to this this idea of Adidas focused content because all people wanted in 2015 was ultra Boost. Well, 2016 ultra Boost, but it was really just like Yeezys and ultra Boost, and then the NMD all kind of thrown in at once. And that was like, all people really cared about. And it just like shot up from there. And then February 1st, 2016 rolls around and all right, let's, let's do the math on this. Let's check the income spreadsheet. Let's see how we did. I made it by a couple hundred dollars. It was barely, it was barely over the limit. And I was like, okay, well, we hit the goal. We have to stick with it for another year. We got to do yeah. this, And we have to see growth this year. And 2016, I did quite well compared to the previous year. And I was like, okay, this is what I do now. Yeah. This is what I do. And then I had, at the time I had an office set up in my parents' basement. And then 20 by 2017, I moved out and I had like an office space then And it now fast forward and we're here. This is, I've done it now for five years. And it it feels like it's been like a couple of weeks. You know, it does not feel like this has been five years. So it's it's been a blast. It's been super fun to be able to genuinely follow a passion and do something that obviously, if you do this every day for five years, your passion behind the product is going to like ebb and flow a little bit. But it's always hilarious for me to look back and be like, what was I thinking in 2015? How did, how did this happen? <laughs> yeah. And how did I turn this into something that would make enough money for me to be like, okay, that's a career now. I, I'm always like blown away by the word career with what I do. Cause it's just like, I just post shoes on Twitter. like <laughs> just pictures of shoes on this monitor over here, just nothing but shoes. And that's a job for me. And so it's something that I'm extremely thankful for. Uh, I I think the opportunities that were provided to me by my parents and I guess the industry at the time, but just having the opportunity to give it a shot uh, was was key in forming the informing what is now my career. And then on top of that, you know, opportunities from people like you, I think every time you have reached out to me in the past, it has been some sort of pivotal moment moment in my career, be it. Like at finish line when you're just like, hey, we're gonna send you this stuff and we're gonna pay you to take photos of it. And I was like, people will pay me to take photos of shoes. Well, like, hey, I mean, I, like,
0: I mean, hopefully this is one of those bit, you know, a year from now I know, we're to have to do this I, again.
1: You hit my DMs and I was like, Oh my gosh, here we go, here we go. And then he was like, You were also, I think, the first paid when you were at StockX, we did an NMD thing yeah. for like an NMD promotion that StockX was doing. And that was like one of the first sponsors. I didn't even know how to like what the FTC disclosure I should use for a sponsored deal (laughs) was. I had to like look all that up because I'd never been, I'd never had a paid placement on Twitter before that. And I severely undervalued myself in that deal, which was a learning experience. But I was like, man, we, we can do some of this. And now that's like parlayed into much bigger brand deals. And so I, you know, a lot of like people like you and Brandon to thank over the years for like randomly picking me out of the sneaker YouTube thing and then giving me a shot and making me, you know, like even if it was on your end, it was just like, okay, well we're going to reach and send out some product to these YouTubers or these Instagram accounts. But like, for me, it was like, okay, this is establishing the fact that this is a real career and that this is a real thing. And that I, it, it's not the imposter syndrome situation. Like it always feels like, you know? And so yeah. there plenty of people to thank. You were definitely one of them. Well, I I'm, I'm, I'm glad I made that list. I, I actually want to focus
0: <laughs> on two things out of that, out of that, um, of what you said, one like thinking about like the deals too. Like I, I, I always, Brandon would totally agree with this. If I'm, we're referencing Brandon Edler, who I've worked with at Complex Finish Line many times throughout the years. Um, But one of the things we always struggled with is that even even me at StockX, you know, which is only, I guess it's for wow, oh, it's been f- four or five years now since StockX started, right? So, um, It's always a struggle because I, I never can get as much as I know you deserve from the Mm -hmm. company, right? Like, it's always me being in the middle there where, like, I'm always fighting for the people that I, you know, give a shit about. Um, And then I'm also trying to, like, appease the numbers or the people in the business that are saying this is how it's got to work. And that's something that is interesting, you know, to, to have you bring up because... People don't necessarily realize how that works for you. Like there's no real good way, no matter what platform says they've figured it out, there's no real good way to say this is what your value is as as a sponsored post or whatever that is, right? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, if you go based on the click-through like you do with affiliates, you know, in all fairness, you're not paid near enough for for the you know the impressions that you get, right? You're paid Mm -hmm. based on somebody clicking through and making a purchase. And yeah. then on the on the other side of that like with with something like StockX because there's potential for that to be we were trying to figure out when we did that with StockX we were trying to figure out do we just partner with one of these affiliate merchants and and let somebody else handle that side of the business or do we just manage this internally and you know and it's always one of those things when you're even, even with, you know, Dan Gilbert behind you in a, in a big pile of money, you know, it's always like, well, we're only going to put X amount of dollars to even test this. Right. And mm-hmm. we didn't have a person, we, we hadn't hired anybody to do any affiliate stuff at the time. I just kind of took it on because I had the relationships and I could reach out to guys like you and be like, we're going to do something. I don't know what it's going to turn into, but like, mm-hmm. what does this look like? And it's always this back and forth struggle. And I. It's one of those things where I have to remove myself from it occasionally just to be like, look, this is just becomes too much of a headache for me because I never feel like both sides get what they want out of this negotiation. Right. It's like, yeah, I I know going into it that it's that it's not going to be fair either way. I'm inevitably trying to help, you know, like we had a relationship before that happened, but like I'm always trying to find new people to potentially bring in and work with, too, just because I think it helps the business. I think it helps my own personal you know, network. So there's always this like give and take of like how we find these placements and how we find these partners and inevitably it it depends right like like you mentioned the the finish line stuff with you know you were you were taking great photos your on foot stuff on YouTube was always was always really nice right like and we were always trying to at that time present the most professional you know, content to the higher ups at finish line. Right. Because they were still afraid of what YouTube was. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and that's where like me working with guys like Jacques and, and yourself, where it's like, sometimes it's not the most exciting content. Like I know that it's not like this clickbait, you know, you know, you know, rolling down the street, calling somebody out on their sneakers. Everybody's screaming and yelling and having a good time and people are mad and all this stuff. It's no drama. But at the same time, I'm trying to think like, I don't want it to just feel like a commercial either. So like, you know, there's this, just this whole thought process that goes into that stuff. And it, and it makes me, you know, thankful that I'm, I know that like you understand that, but it was cool that you brought that up too, because like, it's, it's definitely a, a, something that's not talked about enough in the whole business of sneakers and these partnerships, because some of the stuff just happens because you know, people, some of the stuff, there's, you know, specific things that the brands look for. Some of the stuff is just like, Hey, this just makes sense because you have the audience, right? Like the Adidas focus on Adidas, right? Like the timing of that worked perfect for you in a sense that like, had you tried to do that even like a year or two earlier, right? Like that would have been when I was at finish line probably. And we were, you might've been doing tubulars or, Mm -hmm. you know, some of those shoes that were pre-boost and, you know, they just didn't, they just didn't hit the way the boost stuff did. No, but
1: you remember the SL loop? I think the the SL loop. Loop yeah, was that's a loop, like, yeah, That's another one. It was yeah. like you had the ZX Flux, which banged. Yep. That was a yep. huge thing, which I think is hilarious now because nobody even remembers it. But yeah. that was like their answer to the Roshi run. Yep. Uh, which might have been like that was like the first like sneaker hedge Adidas shoe that I bought after like really getting into everything with the Roshi run in 2012. I think that was like the first, like, okay, Adidas can also participate in this. Yep. Uh and Yeah, I when I tell people about like how I got started and like what made it a career, I always say it was me being in the right place at the right time, making the right decision, Uh, whether it was whether it was me thinking it was the right decision at the time or just kind of guessing and going with like, okay, I guess that that worked. So let's do it again. You know, but it was very much a right place at the right time thing. I I think luck factored into it very heavily. Uh, I think you know, I think the Yeezy thing popping off and becoming a kind of global phenomenon and becoming everybody's like kind of entry point into sneakers uh, in that era definitely helped because I saw massive spikes in followers every day of Yeezy releases, right? Yeah. And so it like it wouldn't have even been a business had I tried to start it a year before that, right? Because there wasn't a a demand for Adidas-focused marketing. Uh, and I, when I look back on it, it's like, that was a necessary step that I took that I could have like looking back, it would be much easier if everything was all under one account. Like it would be much easier to then take all of those Adidas followers and then be able to pitch the off white Nike stuff when yeah. that, when that occurred, you know, three years, like two, three years later. Uh, and so it, it's been like a blessing and a curse on some sides of things, but it was very much right place at the right time whether intentionally or not, then making the the right decision.
0: Well, I would even say that you had to be open-minded enough for that, right? Like the the thing about sneakers that I always find fascinating is that people get so hard-nosed about this is what I like and I don't care about anything out here, right? And, you know, I I know plenty of of guys and, and girls over the past, you know, 15 years of doing this stuff. That absolutely will not wear X, Y, and Z brands, right? They're Nike or Jordan mm-hmm. or or Adidas. Like people are die hard, but at the same time, when people like slow down a little bit and look around, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the sneaker world. And that ability, you know, your position to be able to, you know, look be be wearing Roshi runs, but also open to looking at those ZX fluxes is also something that. A lot of people weren't interested in. Right. And I can say that because I know what we sold at finish line. I know how well that shoe did. And yes, we sold some to Nike, you know, diehards. But so, I mean, the Roche Roshi Run 2, right? Like all the variations that came after it were just to appease those people that were not willing to step away from Nike. And yeah for better or worse, but then the easy comes along and now everybody's, you know, like 2020 end of 2015, everybody's into some form of Adidas, right? Like Adidas Mm -hmm. didn't have it before all the original stuff. You had to kind of be a little bit old school or into the old school stuff because the original stuff and their basketball stuff was very like nuanced and, you know, a little bit heavy. And then it was like, Oh, casual shoes could be Adidas that aren't, you know, I, I mean, I love superstars, but they're a they're a heavy shoe. They're not the most comfortable, just like a Jordan one, right? Like it's a shoe from the eighties that hasn't been updated. It's not the greatest shoe compared to the technology that exists now. Right. But that's really yeah. a fascinating thing to me too, because I think a lot of people are not open-minded enough to even take, to be in a place to be able to take advantage of those things. And, you know, I give you credit for, for, you know, kind of, you know, being in a store and, and like, it's easy when you're in a store to just default to th- the cool colorway of a you know an air max one or an air max 90 or whatever that trendy thing is right because nike always dominates the conversation the colorways all of the everything that's going to go through the year for the most part like the the talk through community and culture and even like you know outside of sneakers where you get into like the business aspects of it nike controls that conversation you know it's mm-hmm. been it, it really was like adidas ultra boost and yeezy that kind of shifted that it's it it happened for maybe 2 years i would say and then it kind of shifted back again and nike's back with you know mm-hmm. the virgil stuff but one of the other things i wanted to go back to because i think it's really important and i'm glad you brought it up is the the idea of of living at home right so many people look down on that and i think you alluded to it right and i think like as someone who's always trying to find ways to create revenue streams and and shift and and do different things i my career is about sneakers, but I am never comfortable just staying in a job, right? Like, I I want Mm -hmm. the experience, I want to, I want to talk to different people, I want to do different things and have, I want my, my total resume to be as broad as possible. Maybe if it's, if it's all focused in sneakers, so be it. But all of that stuff can apply to other companies. And, you know, I get my, you know, kind of consulting work comes from that knowledge and that experience. And I think that one of the things that I envy about people, you know, is that opportunity, right? Like, it's very, the, the, not, not the opportunity to just live at home, but like the opportunity to see that, hey, this can set me up to be ahead, right? Because Mm -hmm. a lot of people, like you said, they're, they're, they're looking at like, you know, the world is like, oh, you're done with school, you know, or, or you're, you're not even done with school, you just found a cool job, and you got a new apartment, right? Like, and I, I don't have anything against that. Like I, that feeling oh, is yeah. amazing. Right. But to have the, the, you know, wherewithal to, to say, Hey, like, it's going to be in my parents basement for a while, but like, let me just try this for a year. And one of the things that I really liked about what you said there is giving yourself the year, right. I have, have constantly done that with myself in like things that I've tried and for better or worse, like, you know, sometimes I'm like, ah, I'm still into it. And I'm going to go past, even though it didn't hit. But like, sometimes it's like, cool, like you see six months into it, this is not going to make it, I'm going to stop now and, you know, cut off the loose ends and, and move on to something else. And that to me is is something that I think, you know, is really interesting in terms of, like, obviously with school, and, and you know, living at home and, and kind of setting yourself up. But what, how does that kind of tie into the conversation around, let's say Adidas, you're a diesel account. Um, you know, I know you have the swoosh supply account, like, how mm-hmm. do you take that mindset into maybe the next decisions as to like how your content evolves from at this point, does that, you know, are there ways that you can kind of, I guess, pull out kind of like some, some thought process around that for us?
1: Well, I think, I think the biggest thing about doing mm-hmm. anything kind of entrepreneurial in life is that you need to give yourself the opportunity to fail. I think like the word fail always like scares people when it comes to like trying to start your own business, but it's really, you just learn from those experiences or you learn from mistakes that you made along the way that led to that. And I think you need to give yourself the opportunity to see those mistakes and be able to adjust on them. And so like me giving me my, giving myself that year, like that was not a, like I was not making what I thought I would be making that year. Like after college, I thought we would have been like set doing some design job that I was very passionate about uh and it was still less than I anticipated, but it was this like okay, well, how do we move from here okay, and we just started this new Adidas account that's gaining traction, like how do we grow that now and I think a lot of people this has happened to me now trying to get back into YouTube you know i I have seen a lot of success on Twitter, and then I'll go back on the YouTube. And I won't see the same success, you know, and I'll see what's popular on YouTube. And I think like I could do that so much better. And so I try to do something and it doesn't generate, you know, a hundred thousand views. Right. And so that's kind of what I'm sticking. That's the mentality I'm sticking with now that I'm back on YouTube, Uh, you know, a a paid placement from a paid gig with Adidas kind of like kicked me back into YouTube, uh, which was very nice, but I, I enjoyed the process again. And a lot of times it's like, well, I enjoy the process and then I get burnt out, but I'm I'm getting burnt out before I'm really testing. Okay. Does this like when I started doing on camera stuff, I don't think I did the on camera stuff long enough to really reestablish it because I think this is something that I don't know if it was in your, your podcast with Seth or with Jacques, but it was this thing where he was talking, one of them were talking about Uh, the older guys in YouTube failed to have, a lot of them have failed to adapt to new content and they just kind of like stayed making the same thing. And I am definitely one of them. Like I, when I first came back on the YouTube with like on, with like my face in the content, I was still doing the review content on YouTube. And I was like explaining to you what this high definition video of a shoe is already saying, I think me, like, I don't need to tell you, this is a white leather shoe for you to know that it's white leather. You know, you need, you need more meaningful content behind that. And so that's why this time when I've come back into it, the like on feet videos where previously it was like a 45 second, just clip of me on feet, set the music, uh, and it didn't really give you any information. Now I'm using that to kind of go back and tell some of the stories of sneakers throughout my short time. In, in the community, uh, but like I just made a video that went up yesterday on the Y3 Casa High and a lot of people in the comments were like, I forgot this shoe even existed. I'm gonna go yeah. dust my pair off because <laughs> I literally had to dust it off because I haven't worn that shoe in years. And so I think going back and focusing on those stories is my new way of, of trying to innovate my content. And really like, I, I think storytelling is, the opportunities are there and they are often missed in the sneaker industry. And that's what I kind of want to focus on this time. So this time I'm going to try, it it takes a lot of work for me. The editing aspect of things is like the biggest, it's, it sucks. I don't enjoy editing. I wish I had that passion for editing. Like a lot of people do, but that is like the hardest part. And so for me, it's like, stick with it this time. I don't know if I'll give myself a year, uh, but I need to take that same mentality that I did when I started the business side of things into ways that I'm going to innovate. And you really need to like. It's never going to happen if you don't try and it's never going to pick up speed overnight. You know, it's, it's going to be months of sticking at this and establishing your own identity and establishing what your content or your product or your service is going to be. And I haven't followed my own like mentality behind that from back when back in the days when I was in my parents' basement. But I think anybody that gets started, like don't be put off by the numbers not being at where you expected them to be at. Uh, just stick with it, give it some time, give yourself an actual chance. And if you're doing the right things, if you're making those right decisions, and if you're like, in my case, if you're in the right place at the right time, then over time, you'll start to see the growth.
0: Yeah, I I 100% relate to the editing process and just wishing Mm. that I enjoyed it more. There are times that I find myself enjoying it, but for the most part, getting into i use premiere getting into premiere and and consistently enough to feel good about how i edit like i'm i'm a fairly decent you know photoshop person right like i've been using that forever i am you know (laughs) you know jacques would would not agree but i'm i'm you know rightfully committed to adobe as a suite Uh, you know i just i've used it for so long that i I could change but i don't want to plus i use it on different platform or different you know devices Mm -hmm. and such so it's like i'm i'm really this year for me is about that too like i'm i'm kind of looking at like how do i how do i do more of this on a you know let's say for instance this podcast right i'm going to edit the video it's going to be a pretty simple process for the most part there's no craziness it's you know it's it's either your face my face or both of us right but yeah. that just being in there on a you know weekly, multiple times a week basis to be using the platform and using the tool is what I'm hoping kind of kicks me into that space of like, oh, I, I can actually work through this. And it's not so much of a drain on me emotionally, because sometimes like I mean, I record I've, if, if anybody knows me personally, like I record car stuff like I've been to cars and coffee. I've been to events, races. I have probably, I don't know, dozens of hours of content from various things over the past 10 years, because I've, I always take a camera and I always record, but none of that stuff has ever made it to YouTube because Mm -hmm. I just don't have the energy to learn the process as I'm looking at that stuff, because it, it just is, it's so intimidating. And this is kind of the, you know, the stepping stone of me getting into that and hopefully getting past that point of, you know, feeling like that's the part of it that I don't like also have a benefit of like, my girlfriend has a YouTube channel, she's, you know, pushing through this same kind of stuff. So it's like, we're both kind of like, Hey, this is the time we're going to move forward with it. And thinking about that too, it, it really is like the, the giving yourself time is such an important takeaway from, from what you said, because. The doing something once, especially whether it's affiliates content of any kind, YouTube, it doesn't actually show any kind of results that are relatable to any type of future in that stuff. Whether you want to do it as a hobby or make money at it, it's really challenging to, to think about the long-term, right? You have to really, you know, kind of sit with yourself and say, okay, like I mean, I've done affiliate stuff off and on for myself. I've done affiliate stuff like, you know, through our sneaker history stuff. I don't necessarily think of it as like the way you have to with Adidas alerts or swoosh supply. And it's like, hey, this is this is literally like my job kind of, it's mm-hmm. always like this side thing for me where it's like, hey, if I can make a few hundred bucks here, okay, cool. Like I'm willing to do that. But I have never made it a priority to, you know, make that a focus of, of my income because I'm always, really focus on like a, a a project-based type thing with other people, right? If, if somebody wants to build a, you know, build out an influencer program for their company or, or start sending out emails for their company, like I'd rather attack those things because it's a, it's a much longer term project for me. And I can, I like, I like to be able to see the results in the partnerships too. So like, I, I relate to your approach to it personally with your stuff, because I look at the same kind of like, you know contracts that I've had consulting gigs that I've had with footwear brands. And like, I don't want to just do a one month thing. If, if we're going to do something yeah. I want to do, it's not about the money. I mean, it's, it's always about the money in some way, but it's yeah. the value to me is like see, being here for six months, doing this project and being able to prove that what I do works well, doing it yeah. for one month doesn't necessarily prove anything. So I totally no. relate to that. And I think that's a really important piece to this whole puzzle that, you know, exists within the content world of sneakers. but. I think one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, like, and you don't have to get too personal about this, but, um, the, the YouTube stuff that you do, I've always kind of wondered what it looks like from a, from somebody who's stepped away from it and then come back to it. Do you see a lot of, you know, like a lot of lift in your older content like that? Because the case, uh, you know, is, is a perfect example of like, that's a, that's a video that would make me want to go dig through your other stuff because it's intriguing to me. Right. So do mm-hmm. you, do you see a lift on older videos once you, you know, as you've, have you stepped away and then come back? Have you
1: noticed any of that? I, I haven't even like checked to be okay. entirely honest. Like I, I know like when I come back, there's, there's some click through from the people that are like, Oh my gosh, it was especially when I shifted the brand name, which looking back may or may not have been a good decision. Um, Cause that, that's a lot of, a lot of people will then see in their, subscription box. It's like, who, what is this name? What is this guy, Cody? And when did I subscribe to him? And unless you click through and like, see, like, Oh, that's the guy who just had his ankles on camera. That's the guy with the skinny ankles. And unless you like still want that content and want my ugly face on camera in your subscription box, there's a lot of fallout from that. And so like, I think that has been the hardest part for me is like seeing the numbers tank Every time I upload because people, one, I haven't been on YouTube like this in years. And every time I did, it was like on feet and it was just shoes. Like I did that for a while where it was just, here's, this is the very easiest, like it's the least amount of effort I can put in to get some sort of content up on YouTube. Uh, And so for the most part, it was just on feet videos. But now I think it's, I'm trying to make more meaningful content and I'm especially trying to do more storytelling uh where there's a Jordan 1 in frame somewhere i'm like i was writing what would have been an on feet video for that when it turned into a much bigger story about the Jordan 1 from 2013 which i mm-hmm. i think nobody really talks about and so i'm making what's going to be a big video about that and that's where i want the future of the channel to go but i right now i'm still in that period where there's going to you're going to take a hit every time you jump in someone's subscription box because everyone's YouTube taste is different today than it was in 2015 or in yeah. 2012. And so I'm extremely thankful for the guy. YouTube added this feature where in the comments, if people have public subscriptions, it will show the creator how long those people have been subscribed to the channel. And so like, I see people commenting that have been subscribed for five, six, seven years. Yeah, I'm like, that's great. Okay. So you guys are still like my diehard fans. And I'm like super appreciative for all those guys. Um, but The channel, you need to establish yourself to a point and find a groove, at least for me, I need to find a groove where it's like now we're getting new viewers and new subscribers. Um, And I think that is me taking my own advice and just being like, okay, ignore the tank here. You're going to lose a couple hundred, couple thousand subscribers, uh, but you need to get it back. You need to get it back off the ground again. Uh, And I I think the hardest part, and this kind of ties into my last point with anyone like trying to start out anything new, I think it's so hard to see numbers that are small on social media with how massive social media is today. You know, there weren't guys doing, you know, mystery box unboxings and getting millions of views when I started doing this in 2012. You know, it was like, okay, a couple people are getting 10,000 views. A a video did really well and somebody got 100,000 views on a sneaker video, but that never existed like, it, it it was like, I could get a couple hundred views on a video and I was like, man, that one banged. But now you see everybody's stuff and it's like, oh, here's a, you know, here's me doing a unboxing on a pair of Dior's. And I'm like, how is that even a thing on sneaker YouTube? <laughs> like, so I think you need to like disassociate yourself if you're starting out or if you're in, if you're giving yourself that first year, disassociate yourself from that crazy content that is pulling in millions of views you know, disassociate yourself from the, you know, 100,000, 200,000 million follower accounts on Instagram if you're taking photos and just follow your passion and be appreciative of the fact that like you are getting those likes and you if you do have regular fans, like those people are there for your content. So don't be like I'm not getting a million views on this video, I'm failing at this because there's a very small percentage of people and they are very front facing when it comes to social media, but go in and find the people doing the, the, you know, couple hundred view sneaker videos and like, see what they're doing. And like, how are you doing in comparison to them? Or like reach out to them, maybe do a collaboration. I know before we started recording, I talked how there's not a lot of collaboration in sneaker YouTube. Uh, Yeah. Very little. There's been, especially since the early days when Yoanti. we were talking about the Yoanti live sneaker chat. Which was just a google hangout that then ended up becoming a youtube video back then but it was like since then there haven't been a lot of collaborations and that's one thing that i love about this podcast and this podcast going up on youtube and the youtube series that will become of it is these are genuine conversations with people that have that are either doing something new in the space or that have been in the space long enough and it's just been absent in the industry this is a long rant i don't know where i'm going with this uh, but effectively, yeah, I think I said all, I hit all my points there at some point.
0: <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I mean, it's, it's, it makes me think of a couple of things. So, um, have you ever read, it's a very short read. It's, uh, it's by Kevin Kelly. It's called a thousand true fans. If you haven't, I have not, you absolutely should. Uh, everybody that's okay. watching or listening should check that out because it talks a lot about, you know, your real fans and I relate to it because, I've been on all sides of this whole weird sneaker content thing for the past 12 to 15 years. And sometimes I think people, like you said, look at, you know, someone who has a million, 2 million, whatever subscribers, and they, you know, they only see the subscriber number, but what they don't realize is like, you know, let's not to pick on Jacques, but you know, he's one of those people that has well over a million subscribers and he'll release a video on a regular basis that barely hits 30,000 views, but nobody ever thinks about, Hey, this video doesn't, I mean, I'm sure he does behind the scenes. He's trying to figure out how do I get these Mm -hmm. views up, but like the percentage there is, is drastic, right? You're not getting views from everyone. And on the flip side of it, you know, there's people that have, you know, 200 subscribers that will get, you know, thousands of views. So comparing Mm -hmm. just doesn't make sense because there's no, there's no actual standard right? Like there's, there's, you know, just the ebbs and flows of, of how things go and so many variables that can be thrown into that. And I bring that up one, because the thousand true fans is a very powerful way to, to kind of roll, roll back your thinking in the way that, you know, like, or at least remind yourself in thinking about what that looks like, right? Do I really need a million followers? Like the gist of the, 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 you know, kind of, uh, writing is, is that you know, a thousand true fans is going to provide you a really great life. If, you know, you have a thousand fully committed people to support you and do what you do and whether, you know, whatever that is that you do. But also I like that you're talking about telling the stories because one of the things that I look at in the sneaker space and, you know, especially YouTube, but just across the board in general, right. Is that there tends to be this trend of, you know, just repurposing everything. And I totally get that that's, you know a, a, rel- uh, a relatively easy way to kind of fill in the gaps but for a lot of these big brands and and companies it seems like there's no longer filling in the gaps right it's literally just like repurposing the same photo putting my own border on it and and kicking it out to my social channels or like reposting from the main account so you see like you know maybe 5 or 10 of the big, be- you know big sneaker accounts on Instagram and they just repost the same photos from the other 5 or 10 big sneaker accounts yeah and That works to a certain extent. I think it can be a part of your content mix, but I love the idea of you telling your story, right? Because I do, I have that same thing, right? And one of the things that I think that is super important about you know sneakers and I get into this conversation, like I'll have an episode up um, on our sneaker history podcast with Russ Bankston and we get to talk about the brands telling the stories. Yeah, the brands telling the stories versus us telling our stories, right? and i you know i'm not saying that you shouldn't listen to what the brands say i think there's value to that but i also think that you create your own story so the roshi runs a great example for you the jordan one in 2013 right all these things have more meaning to you and that's what makes great youtube content right there's value Mm -hmm. in you know the the how-to's and the the on-foots but like there's more value in like people getting to know you as a person and And really latching on to like who you are, not just you, but anybody that's wants to create, right? Like if you can, if you can take a product and turn it into a personal story, whether you want to sell a product or you just want to have good content to me, that's like Mm -hmm. a, a winning, you know, combination. And I think that's super important because I love that you are even saying like, Hey, I went in to do this video on, you know, on this, on this shoe. And then now it's a much bigger video because that's the kind of content that I feel like people resonate with long-term maybe not you know quick hits and hey this is a viral video but like when people um you know I don't know if you're familiar with Marvin but MJO 23 Dan on YouTube does a Mm -hmm. lot of like the you know Jordan retro comparisons and stuff and and he's one of those people that has you know so much knowledge onto the nuances between different retros and that to me is is overwhelming to think of doing it myself but I love seeing Mm -hmm. it because it's like oh this is somebody that, that's paid attention for, you know, whatever length of time in order to, you know, provide his story behind the shoe and why this is a good one. This is not, you know, where, where it lands on the scale and all of those things. And I think we all have, you know, we all have the same or, you know, we all have the same experience with a shoe, but we also have our own unique story behind it. Whether that's oh yeah that, that shoe behind you saying, oh, hey, you know, I remember having to line up for this, right? Yeah, people actually had to line up for sneakers. It wasn't just about getting on an app and, you know, taking an L or not, right? And I think yeah. that's a really powerful, like, way to think about creating content.
1: Yeah, I, it's it's been interesting because I think one thing for me with the pandemic going on is I have been watching a lot more YouTube, not sneaker related, but like this year, one of my, like, massive new passions that the, pan, that the pandemic kind of brought on was Formula One. I'm now like a diehard Formula One fan, uh, and that's partially in part to the Netflix series that absolutely kills it as like an introduction. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I got
0: hooked into Formula One cards, so that's a perfect.
1: <laughs> oh my god! I, I didn't even know there were cards. Now oh, I need mean yeah. cards. <laughs> but that that was been this entire thing, and so like there's this one channel on YouTube. It's it's like I think it's Tomo F1 is the name of the channel, but it's this guy that just started making content like earlier this year. And I've noticed one he's he's like a graphic designer by trade. And so the quality of his visuals are are incredible. But his videos are never about like this is what happened in this one race. They're always like longer form content that is going to be something that will last on YouTube. It's not like, okay, well, we watched. Here's highlights from the Bahrain Grand Prix and now we've moved on to the next race you know it is here is the story of the sponsor of racing point like what is best water technologies yeah i could dive down the formula one rabbit hole here but this is something where it's like people want to know about this content and they are it's not going to disappear after people stop talking about you know this this week's sneaker release and so i think that is something that i've like I saw that and it started to scratch the itch of like, okay, if we really put the time in, can we make some more meaningful content in the sneaker space? And it's like, I I think I mentioned imposter syndrome earlier on in this, but I think it's always been something that I think it plagues anybody that is a creative and does stuff on their own. But for me, I've always felt like there are OGs in the sneaker space and I am not one of them. Right. I, it's like, I don't feel like I can make a video on the history of anything like pre Roshi, you know, like, I can't really tell you how any of that stuff went because I wasn't around for it and I could do research, but like, you couldn't listen to me about something in the nineties when you could listen to like Russ banks and talk about something, you know? And so for me, it's like, how can I take my own spin on that? Like, this is what got me back into YouTube is like seeing stuff that like Tama was making with F1, where it's more meaningful content that is telling the stories that, you know, Formula One isn't telling. How can I tell the stories that the sneaker blogs aren't telling? And maybe it's my experience with the shoe. And maybe it's, you know, just something that I think as maybe a company or the blogs kind of overlooked. I think there's a lot of stories in sneakers where it's like, okay, well, a lot of work went into putting a story behind this product. But then we got the product, produced, and then we got to the marketing side of things, and now we don't have any more money. So we're not even yep. going to bother to tell the story that these designers put hours and hours and months into putting behind this product. We're just going to put it up on adidas.com, or we're just going to put it up on nike.com, and then it's now a general release. And it's like, how can we tell those stories when maybe the budget doesn't allow on the the company side of things? So. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm I'm trying to do stuff that is more meaningful. I've done a lot of like useless content over the years. And now it's just like I want to tell a story that at the end of the at the end of the once I click export, you yeah. know, and I upload it to YouTube. I'm like proud of that piece of content. It's like somebody could learn something from this. They're not just going to see what it looks like on my feet. Right.
0: Yeah. So do you find, you know, kind of jumping back to like the affiliate stuff, right? Okay. Like, I don't want to say it's useless content because obviously there's a lot of people that use your sites and your information to purchase products. Like, you know, I think that there's a lot of content out there that I I, I'm kind of cursed in that I think of content as as like working at the magazines back in the day. Right. There's feature Mm -hmm. content and then there's all this filler content. And sometimes, you know, if you think of like uh, a, a slam magazine, a complex or the source. Sometimes the filler content was what people, people really cared about, you know, like most people, not most, a lot of people didn't care about many of the interviews that happened in Soul Collector that we did, Complex, you know, any of these kind of, you know, I guess traditional magazines. But I always think of it as like, well, you know, you kind of have the, the, you have like, you know, the full meal, right? You have like, you know, the proverbial meat and potatoes, deep dive on something. And then you can have all these other little smaller pieces, but also like thinking about YouTube and and affiliates, right? Like there's, there's a huge difference between, you know, the content on, on Twitter for your affiliate stuff is hugely important. Right. Then there's like Mm -hmm. that kind of middle ground 45 second video that, you know, potentially could live on both platforms at at this point. Right. Maybe not back in the day, but now we're, we're getting, you know, much more opportunity to put short clips across platforms. And like, you know, maybe the, the, the longer stuff and the the deeper dive stuff is more fulfilling to you. How do you, you know, how do you kind of balance those things and how do you, you know, s- separate that? Cause you know, it's, it's ultimately separating the work, right? Like I'm sure yeah. that, you know, the, the time that goes into making a video, you're probably posting hundreds of links in that time. Right. You know, and, and like, how do you I don't know. How do you navigate those two things? Is there, is there kind of like just like affiliates and then like, Hey, this is a creative outlet. And I feel a little bit, you know, more juice to work on this as opposed to just paying attention over here to make sure that I'm, you know, keeping up on things. And also what happens if you're not paying attention to, you know, the affiliate world and the constant evolving, you know, spinning
1: wheel with your, with your other content. Yeah. I, I, That is a good question. It is something I don't have a perfect answer for because that is one of the biggest difficulties, especially right now for me. It is I could go with another 12 hours in a day, right? Because there is just not enough time to handle the work side of things. Like I do consider YouTube to be more of a creative outlet. You know, it's I don't I don't consider YouTube to be part of the business. I think I can play back and forth with like, okay, well, I can retweet this Adidas video on adidas alerts um but i never like i don't look at youtube right now as like a revenue stream like maybe a couple hundred bucks here and there on on ad revenue but for the most part uh unless it is a direct involvement for like a paid placement or, or a sponsored video it's that's strictly for creative stuff so for me it's like i think the biggest thing I've tried to, I've, I've tried and failed with over the years is like time management and like managing some sort of work-life balance. So I do try to have like a work schedule where I'm working on the, I keep looking at, this is my Twitter monitor over here. <laughs> uh, but I do try to have like a work schedule where I don't necessarily clock in or clock out. Like I had a WeWork space where I would walk to an office to handle it yeah. and then I would come back home and that would be time where, okay, now I can take a picture. Like now I can take photos of this pair of shoes I just got in, or now I can start working on that video. Um, So it is, it is a balance of like, this is the job that pays the bills. And then this is like how I'm going to have fun in the industry still, or what I want to do with my free time. That's still involved in sneakers, or maybe it's this obligation where it's like, I, well, it's Thursday and I have on feet videos go up every Friday. So I got to do this now. Um, But then there is, you know, affiliate stuff and stuff on Twitter, operates 24 seven, you know, a product can go up at any time, or it can restock at any time. So you do have to kind of stay on your toes. And you can miss stuff. And I think the biggest thing is, you, for me is don't blame yourself if you do miss something. Like don't look at other people that you that your competitors, which in this space are also my colleagues, because we kind of all have to like work together. Um, but don't look at like someone else doing really well, and then get too down on yourself about it. Uh, just look at it and go like, okay, we'll get the next one. Uh, because there's always more releases coming. There's always more opportunities coming. And if you miss something, it's not the end of the world. Uh, and I think it can be rough on you when like, I check my mentions and somebody will be like, oh, you missed this restock at four in the morning. And I'm like, well, sorry, I was asleep. Like I got to sleep. I wish I could stay up 24 hours a day. Like I used to for easy releases, but I can't anymore. So it's, it's don't get too down on yourself and and then try to make time for the the more i guess fulfilling aspect of of the content that i make which is the more personal stuff yeah um it's and then also try to make time for stuff that isn't sneaker related for me that this year it's been like gaming and formula 1 and so like i established sunday like we're recording this on a sunday this is my day off So I essentially do a double work day on Saturday after we get through the Saturday releases. Nothing really releases on Sunday. So I'm essentially scheduled for my Sunday before Sunday happens. So like I can go out and get like a nice cup of coffee on a Sunday or I can watch the Formula One race at five in the morning in Istanbul. You know, like we I, I can do all that. So that has been like my favorite thing I've done this year is taking Sundays off. Uh, and it still happens. And like if there's if there was a restock right now, I could cover it. Like it's yeah. not a situation where like I'm not going to do it, but I'm set up to the point where like I can have a day away from the business. And that has been like the most important thing for me, like mentally this year. And I've been really appreciative for it. So it's all time management, I guess, yeah. to, to answer the whole question there. It's all like make sure you divvy time up, don't blend things together so that it feels like, okay, well, this fulfilling, passionate thing that you're doing is also somehow tied up in the business side of things. Be able to manage that. Do do you, that's those, there's a few things in there that
0: are really key. And I think like time management is something that I struggle with. I I mean, I feel like uh, this, this might be me being a broken record, but I think that people don't understand that when you work at home, there's no, there's no clocking in and clocking out, right? Like you're always on. And that's really challenging for me personally, cause I'm not good at, at time management at all. Like I, mm-hmm. I love talking to people. I love hearing people that get passionate about things. And I, I want to give them that, that time when I get on the phone call or, or a video and like, and that has always been a challenge for me. Are there any, like, c- you know, you mentioned we work and and obviously that's a, a, a cool opportunity if if you're able to set up something and step away, but obviously with the pandemic, it's probably not a reality for a lot of people. Um are there any other like kind of tools that you use for either time management or 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 potentially even just like you mentioned kind of you know the fact that affiliates is kind of like competition and colleagues all in one. How do you navigate that stuff? Is there a way that you you know, we're, we're in this new world, right? Like we have, you know, monitors and cook groups and bots and all this stuff that just didn't exist three, four years ago. So are there any tools that you use to either, I guess you could even go into like even scheduling stuff if you want, but like thinking about like, just making sure that you stay up on those, uh, you know, that information change whenever it happens.
1: Yeah. Uh, Well, to answer, I guess, the first question is I did have a WeWork space and it was like within walking distance of my of my current apartment. And it was nice. It was like I would I would do like my morning work at my setup at home. And then for my like I'd like have lunch here and then I'd go into the office to get what I would consider like the busy work done. So like kind of that filler content because I kind of operate on a daily schedule where I have kind of like this amount of posts needs to go out today and we'll do. And I try to divvy it up between. So it's not like all focusing on one retailer. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I, I do all that fill that filler content at the WeWork space. And it got to a point where it was in a, it was in the summer, last summer, summer of 2019, I walked to the office in July. I live in Atlanta. And so it was like a 98 degree out degree day here in Atlanta. And I got to the. it's like it's a couple blocks, the walk to my to to the WeWork space. And I got there and I was just dripping in sweat. And I was like, this is not worth it anymore. And I canceled the office the next month. It it was just like it was very useful. And I think it taught me a lot of time management, kind of the mentality of time management, where it's like you. Just because you're at home doesn't mean you should, you know, go clean something up in the apartment or just because your PlayStation is right behind you doesn't mean you have time for like one game of Call of Duty and then you can get back to work. It's about that mentality of like, okay, get it done and then you'll be free. You know, like if you get the work done, if you get what you need to get done for the day, then you can take a step back and maybe okay, maybe today you got done early and you're clocking out at two o'clock and now you can go do something else. Uh, or, but then on the flip side of things, maybe today you got way more work and you're working until midnight or 2 AM, 3 AM, whatever it is. Uh, so it's just about finding that balance. I don't think anybody has it perfected. I think everybody struggles with it in one way or another. When was sneakers introduced? 2016, 2017,
0: 16 or 17.
1: Yeah. Sneakers was introduced and, uh, I, I guess this isn't, this might not have been the intention but sneakers operates entirely separate from Nike.com's like e-commerce platform. So people like me never make any money on a sneakers release, which may or may not have been a marketing strategy of Nike, just as a way to screw yeah. all of us out of the money-making opportunity of any launch product. But that's just how it works. Uh, and trying to navigate that and figure out like, okay, what is the best way for me to make money on this? And so like, that is kind of why you see a lot of people say a a Jordan retro doesn't sell out on sneakers. There's a, there's a reason why a lot of people like my account, there's a lot of accounts posting at 1025 in the morning on a launch day. It's because that's when that product then flipped over to Nike.com on the e-commerce side. And now we can make money selling that product. Uh, so it's been a lot of like seeing those, seeing how that works. Kind of figuring it out by accident, seeing like, okay, I didn't make any money on this, but I sold a lot of them. Uh, And you kind of have to learn from the mistakes because the company isn't going to tell you when they're going to try and like not necessarily pull one over on you. But it's been a battle over the years of like exclusions became a thing. And it's yep. like, okay, well, this style we know is going to sell, and so we're going to exclude it from any sort of commission. And for, for, I think the first thing to establish—you mentioned this earlier in the in the in the podcast—but um, none of us make money on clicks. So I think that is a that is this this idea that oh, they they said restock on this Yeezy, and we all went to this site, and then there was no product, and they only did that to get money because they get paid on the clicks. That isn't that's never a thing. No one gets yeah. any sort of like CPM based income from sending you to a website it it would not be fruitful for that website to even pay out on anything like that so we are not doing this to dupe you into going to a site for that product to be sold out uh i think that's like the big thing that i see people getting upset about when either i am late on it or they are late to my tweet it's like i am never trying to dupe you into doing something so that i can make money Um, but i think it's keeping up with the way that the industry has evolved in a short amount of time. Like there is no textbook on affiliate marketing, just not a thing. All of us that are doing it are pretty much self-taught. There is no handbook on how to do this properly. And so it's all about kind of evolving with the industry and adapting to changes that retailers make on their end with exclusions. People got like exclusions really jumped in in like 2015, And then it was like, okay, well, how do we navigate the exclusions? Now we have to limit how much we're posting about something because is this a product that's excluded that is still worth posting because it's necessary content? I need to keep you updated on this product regardless of me getting paid on it or not. And if I do that, then that kind of affirms the exclusion. So you're going to have to find that balance. And that's been the adapting process over the years. And now we're into this cook group situation where Everyone is running bots. There are more bots than there are people looking for this content genuinely. And so yeah. it's how do we shift the content away from I'm going to sell you this restock because that restock is going to move faster than that. How can I find meaningful ways to help sell the, con- the, the product that isn't going to sell out in five seconds? You know, mm-hmm. how do we focus on the product that's staying in stock? How do we cover more of the news aspect of things for upcoming releases to keep the followers engaged? And all of that is a trial and error process. It's all what is working, what isn't working. Keep trying new things and keep trying to adapt to the way that the industry and the way that e-commerce platforms from every retailer are changing.
0: Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting. As you were explaining that, I kind of it almost sounds like there's a. You know, I I started in the sneaker thing with blogs, right? We, you Mm -hmm. know had affiliate stuff back then it wasn't a priority, but when we could fit it in, we did then that kind of evolved. As I moved through all of this stuff, there were these, like, you know, you started to talk about paid content or, or, you know, potentially even like, you know, I guess more just content that was geared towards the affiliate thought, right. I might do a post on, you know, the greatest air force ones of all time, because I knew that I could rank with that. And then I would make enough money off of people clicking through to Nike at some point to justify, Mm -hmm. you know, the effort that went into it. But what's really fascinating is like, you're almost, it almost sounds like we're almost to that point of, of flipping back because of sneakers and I'm assuming confirmed app, like where you're now having to think of like, well, this can't just be the click. It can't just be the, you know, making sure that you're always on top of releases, it almost feels like, you know, for you both on Twitter and on YouTube, right? You're coming back to this like element of like story and, you know, adding more value to whatever that is, even to get the click and the purchase and the, you know, affiliate, you know, money that can potentially come from it, which is, which is kind of completely fascinating that we're, we're just like ebbing and flowing back and forth through these things to kind of you know, like you said, roll with the industry, right? Like everybody's trying to figure it no. out. And, um, I, is there, is there any, I don't know if it's a resource, but like, is, you know, there is no book on affiliate marketing you said, but is there anything that you maybe look at as like a resource or, a or, a you know, a, a, other than I'm assuming, you know, obviously your colleagues and the other people that are doing this, you can bounce ideas off of and, and say, Hey, this is working and this isn't. There are there any other things that you
1: use to kind of navigate that stuff? Not necessarily. Uh, okay. it's, it's really bouncing the content off the followers and seeing what, what does well. What do they want to see? What are they clicking through to? You know, with Adidas, everybody's seen Adidas over the last few years. It has very much been they were at an all-time high in like 2015 to 2017. And then Off-White Nike kind of tanked Adidas's yeah like they were their run kind of ended when the off-white Nike stuff was introduced. And if you look back at 20, 2017, it's, you have, we're in the ultra boost 3.0 pivoting to the 4.0. And I think that was when it started to get a little oversaturated. It was like, we didn't need another one. If you had the ultra boost, you had it already. Probably the NMD kind of the same thing. It was to the point where th- this special NMD R1 prime Nits weren't, special anymore. It was just another NMD R1 prime that, uh, the Yeezy were well into 350 V2 at this point in 2017. And so that like those quick hit sales were slowing down and it became for me on the business side of things, how do I shift into selling the stuff that isn't going to sell out in five seconds? Right. Right. Uh, And so then it became like, okay, let's focus on the sales. Let's focus on the, you know, The the carryover styles from Adidas that are always going to be selling. Like one thing I always notice is the like Adidas cloud foam slides sell like crazy. Anytime those go on sale, it's like if you can sell a pair of shoes for or sell a pair of these slides, they're $35 retail, but you can get them for $21 pretty regularly on sales. And everybody loves these slides. They're super comfortable. And so like that is something I found after bouncing it off of the followers and being like, this tweet got 150 likes, and it's about a pair of slides. It was like, that was accidental. And so now it's like, okay, like, let me keep an eye on these slides. Let me see how these slides are doing. And it's like that kind of mentality where it's like, okay, let's, let's bounce some stuff off, off of the followers. They didn't like this one. Okay. We won't revisit that. But then it's like, okay, well, this sale post did really well. So let's add that to the repertoire. Let's keep an eye on that product page. Even though it's not, you can't write a blog post about, the Adidas CloudFoam slides. Like no right. one's going crazy. Like there I have a tweet scheduled for tonight. They're available now in camouflage. That's not going to be a blog post. You know, right. but when those go on sale, that might that might do well. Uh and so it's it's finding that content that is it's not going to be the instant sellout. You know, it in 2020 it's not the or in 2020 it became the PS5 stuff. Like that is yeah. one thing that I missed out on. I did not adapt to PS5s, but I'm also not capable of providing people with like PlayStation updates, but it's not going to be like that where everybody's jumping on it immediately and it's going to sell out. It's You need to find the filler content that people still want to see from your account while they're also there for updates on the new retro releases or, you know, with Nike, what is Off-White and Nike doing or what what are the big Nike releases? With Adidas, it's... What new color of the three hundred and fifty V two is coming out this week, and do I already have that in my closet and stuff like that? So you got to find the, the filler stuff.
0: Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting because it's it, it's uh, I, I go back to like our our you know our finish line work, right? You know, as much as the sneakerhead world thinks they're the important person in this business of footwear, they're such a small percentage, right? You know, it's max kind of the Pareto principle or whatever, but it's like, you know, the 80% of, of consumers buy more normalized stuff, right? They're not the people that are, you know, like just trying to dive into every Yeezy release. Like the general consumer is like, I just bought it because it was 70 bucks and it was a, you know, a nice white shoe with a blue swoosh and, or nice black shoe and I can wear it to work. And it's it's really interesting because the affiliate stuff has always been fascinating to me because I, I think it's I think it's a really cool you know like revenue stream opportunity for someone like yourself to make a business out of it but at the same time I look at it and I'm like man that's exhausting like there's so much you know having to be connected and you know I always wonder about how that balance plays out and how how it will play out and how it evolves but um, I guess kind of shifting away from that with this, with the content that you've created with sneakers or I guess outside of sneakers, even what would be kind of like the dream opportunity for you? You know, if, if I'm going to be that pivotal point and, and shift this to the next, uh, thing for you, as, as you mentioned before, what's the, what's the, like, you know, the, the opportunity you can't walk away from in the next you know year or so.
1: Yeah. Um, for me, um, it's, it's, The dream opportunity, the dream evolution of the career within the next year or so is focusing more on collaborating with a brand or with a retailer, not on a product, but on the strategy. Uh, Like I mentioned earlier where it's like, I don't feel like an OG and like, I feel like I can't really speak on this. It's the same with my business strategy. You know, it's like, I've only been doing this for so long. What do I really know about this? And what... If a brand were to pay me, would I have enough knowledge to actually provide them a service worth that? And this, I've done this specifically with Adidas now for like five years straight. Yeah. Adidas Alert started in October of 2015. And so for me, it's like, can I actually provide that as a, as a valuable consultant to a brand to be able to help them be like, okay, here's how you should properly roll this out. And I have a lot of ideas on that. And I have a lot of ideas of how we can use successes and failures from the past, because I've seen products roll out and I've seen products do well. I've seen products flop. So how can we take that and then plan a new product rollout using that knowledge? And for me, it seems uh, there are a lot of opportunities, I think, or there are missed opportunities that constantly happen. And I feel like I could assist in trying to make one more of a success than a failure. Uh, and that's kind of the goal. And, uh, I I've started laying the groundwork for it. It's something that I should have done a long time ago, but like, this is 2021 for me is a year where I'm just going to like trust the process and kind of go for it. And I'd love to do it with, with Adidas. Nice, man. Are you, are, are you, do you
0: plan on, I guess in that kind of going with the flow for 2021, do you plan or, you know, what are your thoughts around? alluding back to what you said earlier about like being too focused on Adidas on the account where you could have done it as a, as a, you know, more of an umbrella account and then dispersed outwards. What are your thoughts on that for, you know, the future? Does that, you know, in, you know, either in regards to like partnering up with Adidas or potentially with other brands or, or whatever that looks like, how do you, how do you kind of see that for yourself? But I guess also maybe just for affiliate stuff in general.
1: Well, with affiliate stuff, I think it's that is like a it's a thought I've had in the past. It's like this. The Adidas account is much bigger than the other accounts. So if I just swapped the name and started posting other stuff, would all of these followers then be upset? And I'm not going to do it. I just think that yeah. would be too much of a of a risk because that is the brand I've built with this. And it is it's the blessing and a curse from splitting off is the business became possible because I split that off and started only covering Adidas product. Uh, But then when the the interest shifted back towards Nike, we missed out on it. But I think I'm now in it, like I'm in a good position where I've kind of like, it was difficult. I will say like 2017 into 2018, watching that shift and then watching eyes continuously fall away from Adidas content and go back towards Nike content Whereas the Nike brand didn't blow up as well because it's harder to cover those Nike releases, you know, like ever since, like you you don't really have a shot with sneakers and you don't need to follow a Twitter account when you have the sneakers account or your sneakers app on your phone. And you know, when the stuff is coming out, you can set your reminders. So that service isn't really necessary because Nike has shifted all of that stuff away. Um, so for me, it's more just kind of focus on what I'm good at with the business keep moving that and then try to diversify and add in more revenue streams and try to do more stuff on the industry side of things rather than try to change my content in a way that could upset the entire follower base. Uh, that's, that's kind of the goal. Okay, cool.
0: That's, it's really kind of fascinating because I I look at, I, I feel the same way about kind of all of this stuff and like the space, the, like the time that we're in for sneakers in general, right? We're in this, we're in a place where you know nike is is you know again like shrinking down the opportunities surrounding their business to obviously you know smart for their business, right? The more they reel it in, the more money they make. but at the same time, I wonder how far is too far, right? because mm-hmm. the same way that you know you were talking about the 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 twenty the shift from say twenty seventeen to twenty eighteen the same shift from 2014 to 15, you know, 15 to 16. And, and like going from Nike to Adidas, I feel like we're on the verge of, of another big shift. It's been a while since we've had it, you know, there's like, there's only so many off-white versions of a shoe. There's only, you know, so many Travis Scott collabs that, you know, I'm, Jordan ones don't get me wrong. Those things will always be popular, but they aren't necessarily going to be the energy driver for the, the industry the way they have been the last, you know, 24, 36 months. Right. And it's, it's kind of fascinating, you know, to, to hear how you have to navigate that because in a sense, like, I also look at what you do in, in terms of like, and correct me if I'm wrong, you haven't done, you know, like affiliate stuff towards like secondary market stuff at all. Right. You, you tend to stay focused on like
1: sales and, you know, new release type stuff it's it's difficult. I will say StockX does have a affiliate program now, but it is yeah. <laughs> it's been difficult working with that team and even now it is like I know they're in a tough space because it's like their profit comes from taking their own percentage off of it as a fee. Yeah. And then when we look at it, it's like okay, well we're we're used to a commission on a full sale. And then so for them to come and offer us such a small percentage, it's not really worth it to us, even though that market is there, right? Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't seem like anyone has found a, a way of working with affiliates like myself and my colleagues slash competitors mm-hmm. uh, in a way that makes sense, which is why I think the the only way to do that is through a direct paid placement, not yeah. through a commission-based like platform. And that's where it's just like, okay, well, there could be opportunities here uh, but it doesn't seem like there's interest on really either side here uh, because there would need to be money up front with kind of uh, on the on, say, the StockX or GOAT side of things. There would need to be the money up front. There would need to be, you know, this it would be experimentation from the affiliates, from people like myself and being like, OK, well, we're going to try more of these posts. And how are people going to respond to it? You know, like you you're, you come to my account for getting ultra boost for one hundred dollars, not for, you know, getting Yeezys for five hundred dollars. So it's it's finding that balance and it's, there have been attempts over, over the years, but it's always been difficult.
0: Okay. Yeah. That that makes sense. I mean, I, I just asked because that's more of a personal, like I always, I always end up in that space. We talked about it earlier, but Mm -hmm. I always end up, you know, I find that my, my kind of sweet spot in this industry is, is somewhere on the business side, but. You know, on I, I, working on the business side, but as an advocate for the you know creator side, right? Like, I yeah, I I struggle to to find the 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 businesses that understand what that means because you know I'm I want to wear my Giants. I'm not wearing a Giants hat, but I want to wear my Giants hat, my sneakers, and my hoodies. I don't want to have to go get a corporate job and you know have all these like you know more more like, I guess, disconnected conversations, right? But I am the person that people in those conversations look to as like, hey, this guy kind of gets it. He Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily dress like us or look like us or, you know, have the, you know, the, the you know, perfect corporate life that America likes to, you know, portray. But I also, I come from being a creator and like, you know, all of my friends and colleagues in this whole world, are the people like yourself that are like constantly figuring out ways to to you know work with the brands and with these places like StockX and I I think there's there is something there I don't know what it is and obviously I haven't been actually with StockX for a couple of years but I've you know been looking at what Goat does in this space even the real real there's some interesting there's some interesting stuff happening and I think mm-hmm. that as I think that there's a shift coming and you know I'll, I'll kind of leave it at that but I think that there's something you know with these kind of secondary markets because they haven't quite committed to creatives or creators like what you do they're still looking at these like very high level you know celebrity type or yeah. or they're just they're just in this place where they're like like don't worry about it just talk to people and create content around people that want to talk to us and there's no money involved and you know that speaking from experience at like a finish line that only works for so long, right? Like, you know, eventually, yeah. you know, people understand like how they can provide value and then their value goes up, whether that's a little bit or a lot, or, you know, you know, like the more you work with somebody, the, the more valuable you are, right? Like the relationship, the, the, the age of that relationship is also puts a certain amount of value into that person working with you because then you will, don't even have to think about it from the brand side. It's like, hey, look, we want to talk about Adidas. Cody knows what he's talking about. Just send him the shoes, cut him the check, we're good to go. And I think that's yeah. a that's a, a piece that's really fascinating to me to kind of keep an eye on for the next you know year or two because all these uh I, I like to think of what you do with affiliates as kind of like a, you know, to some extent, there's a lot of you guys and you are like, you know, throwing the fish food in the in the koi pond, right? And a lot of times that is a Yeezy release. It's massive or not Yeezy, but like it's, it's a massive release. Everybody's going for it. There's all this energy, but there's a massive pond, right? There's plenty of fish that are not even looking at that. And brands look at the brands, you know, should be thinking about it in the same way, right? They have to sell to the entire pond, not just to, you know, the, the people that are waiting for that Yeezy food or whatever it is. So I think that there's a, there's, I hope that there's a shift in the way that they think, because Ultimately, that's going to be the difference maker for those businesses. In my opinion, they they've grown. A lot of these companies have grown to a significant space. They've got a lot of money behind them now. And it's like, look, the only way you're going to be able to edge out people is if you acknowledge all these facets of this business. And which is why, like, I really love this business, because it's just it's fascinating. All the different people that are like yourself doing things that, you know, you could you could make a living doing doing this stuff if you want to commit to it. And that's kind of way. Yeah. Like, I I love the idea of all these like nuanced approaches to content affiliates, all these different spots, but, um, I guess final question, you know, what, what do you see as like kind of the, maybe, maybe, a a, uh, you've talked about this in a variety of different ways, but maybe like the biggest lesson for yourself that you've taken away from your journey in this stuff. Um, and you know, like if you
1: were starting over, what, what would you do differently as your approach? I, I think looking back on everything, I think not fully dedicating myself to my own personal brand is, is an opportunity that I missed out on. Um, I think letting the YouTube channel slip when it is difficult to get back into YouTube. And that's something that I talked about earlier in the show, but it's just like, if I would have kept up with it and if I would have established a more personal brand behind this, and if I would have kept up the personal brand behind the business accounts as well, uh, I think I could have seen a more positive response over the years that would have resulted in more partnerships with myself, you know, because you see an account with a lot of followers with no face behind it. And that's difficult for both the followers to get behind on a personal level and the brands to get behind because there's no there's no way for the brand to connect to it. So that was why I shifted. I I came a little late with the shift, but that's why I shifted to just my name and putting my face out there. Uh, But if I would have done that from the start, uh, I I mean, it's another thing where it was like my brand at the beginning was I'm the guy that you don't know what he looks like. Uh, and had, I would have played with that when people still cared about my like anonymity, uh, I think I could have played off of that in a way to establish a a brand to myself for myself that then would have been easier to partner with, uh, with, with brands when that time came. Uh, and then also it would have put a, a personality behind, uh, the business accounts that I have now in a way that like, I think right now you'll, you'll see on a lot of big brand accounts, People always like to talk about the admin, like, how are you doing admin? Because it's there's this idea where there's like, OK, this is a brand account, but there is someone behind it that is working on this content and working on these tweets and everything. So had I set that up from the beginning and it had that personal, more personal relationship with the followers, I think it would have helped grow more from the beginning. Uh, it's it's difficult because I feel like, again, it's like, it's been a lot of me like trial and error. So it's like, I have tried a lot of stuff and it hasn't worked. And so I haven't gone down that path and some stuff has worked. And so I think like, that would be the one thing that if I could go back and start over, it would be, don't take a leave of absence from YouTube, stick with it and keep that constant, that content consistent and establish more of a personal brand for myself.
0: Yeah. I I, I mean, that's, Great advice for anybody that's listening or watching. I, I guess I would take that one step further and just like, just your personal opinion. Do you find like the cadence or the, you know, the the frequency at which you're posting to YouTube? Like, do you have any kind of thoughts on what works and what doesn't? You know, considering like it's... the the way that you've stepped away and stepped back, I kind of think that's a really fascinating piece to this puzzle.
1: Yeah, I think... That's that's part of the problem. That's This is something I see on Twitch with a lot of streamers is you kind of need this idea of a schedule because yes, you're a live streamer, but people need to know when to check for you. So you need to have some sort of uploading schedule. So that's always why I've always tried to do when I was doing the review or closer look videos, that was always the... That was always the goal was like, okay, those are going to go up on a Tuesday on feet. Videos are going to go up on a Friday when I was doing news videos, those are going to go up on a Sunday. So there was some sort of schedule so that people knew when to check for it. They wouldn't have to get it to pop up in their subscription box. So they wouldn't need a notification because they understood that new content is coming on this day and this is when they can expect it. Uh, And so that was kind of the, that was kind of the goal with that originally. Now I think it's more just keep content on the page. I think with unfortunately, YouTube operates on such an algorithm based platform at this point where it's just like if a video is going to bang, it's because you met the right requirements for the algorithm to recommend you to other people. And which is why you see a lot of people asking for likes now. I always thought I was like better than that when I was first doing like I was never a like like and subscribe kind of person, but you kind of have to play that game now on YouTube Because likes play into so much of how they recommend the video to new viewers and getting new viewers is how you then full circle wrap that back into. All right. Now it's more meaningful content because now it's it's I'm seeing the benefit of it. So it's it's yeah, it's rough. It it is rough and you kind of have to do play that game. So I just think consistency, you got to keep content flowing so that people, even if unintentionally, people still remember who you are, why you're in their sub box, stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating, man. And it's, it's, uh it's cool to hear how you've navigated all this, right? Because as, as we were saying, you know, we talked a little bit before we started recording, I'm really, I, I admire the way that you've moved throughout this, right? Because there's so many challenges, uh, you know, with both creating, committing to the the time and energy that it takes for YouTube, but also finding, you know, the affiliate world, I would say, at least in the sneaker space a little bit earlier than than most maybe, you know, jumped into it. And also just being able to be flexible. And, you know, it's, it's, it's impressive how you've done that over the past, you know, five or six years of me watching from a distance, um, you know, yeah. and personally, I, I, uh, I support the, the brand name, you know, and, and your personal name being on there. Like, I think that's a great idea, but I also think I'm, I reached out to you originally because your screen name was GT fan seven one two. And I was like, G- so are you a car guy, GT fan? What? Like tell-
1: <laughs> a lot of people that, that was always for the, for the record GT fan was my, that was my Xbox live gamer tag. When I started an Xbox account in like 2006 and it just stuck. Uh, I was a Georgia tech fan, I, I i've always grown up and lived around the atlanta okay. area and so i was i was not a uga fan i was a georgia tech fan and so that was the gamer tag back in the day and everybody's like oh mustang gt fan i'm like <laughs> no that's not it those are fine cars if you want to go in a straight line but i am not a mustang gt <laughs> fan so <Uh-oh. laughs> those that have been a constant thing over the years and uh it was fun. It was fun while it lasted, but that was such a bad name to try and put up. Like, that was not the brand name to put behind a sneaker account for sure.
0: Uh, I mean, I think I think we all have those early names, you know, of like, oh, message board type thing or early early Xbox, PlayStation and all those, you know, it just. I, I, I did the same thing where, like, you know, I was I was uh, Sacktown XSI, which was a car reference, but that was my name on all of the sneaker forums, too it was my name everywhere. Right. But then mm-hmm. when I, you know, kind of got the job at complex, I was like, wait, this, this is way, way more professional. I need to be way more professional about this. I'm going to put my actual name as everything and just switched everything. But um, well, dude, it's been, it's been awesome talking to you and hearing about your journey and, and catching up, man. It's, I, I really appreciate you taking the time. And of course, um, I, I, I guess uh, last, last but not least, definitely let, let people know, all the accounts that they can follow you and, and keep up with you and,
1: and maybe hopefully get some of those cloud foam slides. The cloud foam slides. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to follow any of my personal accounts, I'm just my full name at Cody template on pretty much everything these days. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, that's where you can find me. And then as far as my business stuff for affiliate uh, that is Adidas alerts for my Adidas account swoosh supply for my Nike account. And then, what was originally supposed to be kind of the umbrella account that covered everything. And now that just kind of covers all of the fringe brands that aren't Nike or Adidas. Uh, that would be Seven Twelve co, which is a play on the old GT fan Seven Twelve brand. So that's where you can find me on all that stuff. Uh, go take a look at some of my new videos. If you'd like, let me know what you think of the, of the new content. Cause I'm also figuring that stuff out.
0: So yeah. Right on man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time. Thanks everybody for rocking with us, listening to us. Uh, I guess like favorite and subscribe because that's a new tip. I got to I got to remember to say that on the YouTube version. Uh, If you're listening on on one of your podcast platforms, I'd actually love to know what platform you listen to. Um, You know, I don't I don't really have access to that kind of information. So if you want to leave me a comment either on Instagram outside pods or or Twitter outside pods, that'd be super helpful. But uh, just appreciate you listening and I'll catch you on the next one. Peace.